throwing fruit and vegetables at me again. Keep singing. Maybe they will throw some fruit for dessert. Welcome back, pilgrims. <laughs> this is Ramblin', an Amblin' podcast. The podcast where we head way out west to check out the saloon of Amblin' Entertainment and all it has to offer inside. I am one half of your hosts, Andy Godian. And I'm the other half, oh, Joshua, Joshua Glenn. Glenn a sip. Taking a sip. I picked, <laughs> I, picked a, I picked a terrible time to take it. I knew it was coming, but I thought, I can squeeze a little sip of my tea in before <laughs> Uh, we do apologize for taking a bit of a hiatus it couldn't be helped as i was struck Ooh. down with the dreaded rona but uh, <laughs> we're all back in action now as i like to say with lasso yeah. in hand to round up trivia bits and musings on the 1991 animated sequel an american tale five goes west the third animating offering from amblin entertainment i want a film us- to return for <laughs> <laughs> And to once again help us uh, dig into the scheming scams of Mice Hungry Cats, uh, yet well-dressed cats, I should add. Um, Will you please welcome back to the podcast, friend, journalist, and my favourite Canadian, Barry Levitt. Welcome back, Barry. That is, that is an honour. Canadians are generally terrible, so it's it's pleasing that I'm still <laughs> at the top of the list, even though. Um, yeah, I said, I, I'm pretty sure I made some statements about this film uh, when we watched the first American Tale that I'm probably yep. going to have to retract. Uh, yeah. Mia, mia, culpa, mia culpa right now, Barry. Let's have it. Well, I um I do believe I said something along the lines, and I didn't re-listen, but I believe I said something like, "This movie is good," and uh, we all make mistakes in life, and and you know you think you are saying the right things, and you think you're telling people truth that they have something to look forward to, uh, and then they watched an American Tale, Philo Goes West. I did as did I for the first time in a few years. Um, and I don't know what I was going through a few years ago to make me think that this was great. Uh, but look, you know, mistakes happen. <laughs> mistakes happen. <laughs> We've got to do our best yet- to deal with it. Move on. Yeah. You did, of course, join us for our episode on the first installment, uh, 1980s or oh, 1986's American Tale. Um, I, but since then, and uh, uh, we can't ask you the usual questions of what does Amla mean to you? Because we've already done that. But... I have it on good authority, your own authority, that you have watched uh, E.T. the Extraterrestrial since we last recorded. So do Ooh. you have any tear factor updates for uh, young Josh Glenn? <laughs> I, I, I do believe this time, if I remember correctly, tears were shed. Um, <laughs> you said that in the very passive voice just then. Tears were shed. <laughs> well, I'm just, it was, a, it was a, I watched it like really quickly after we recorded the last one. So I'm trying yeah. to remember. Trying, yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely did. I did cry. Yeah. Yes. It's kind of hard not to really. I'm not sure yes. what, what kind is. of robotic spell was put under I me. I know. 
uh, previously, but I, I made it. Yeah. I made it. Yeah, no, it's good to hear. See, pe- people can change. People can change. Absolutely. Look, people think people think Fiber Goes West is pretty good. People think you can't cry in ET. You know, we all evolve. The last time I saw you, Barry, you thought the Fiber Goes West was good, and you didn't cry during ET. Look at you now. Yeah, you're I, a I'm completely <laughs> different man. Two point It's a changed man. <laughs> Uh, before we get properly out west, let's uh, let's hop on the on the train first with a, a stop off at the synopsis station. <laughs> if you would happily take it away, Joshua and Glenn. Okay, <laughs> so Five Girls West. Do you guys remember an American Tale? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that, but in the west. <laughs> Don't you dare besmirch an American Tale like that. <laughs> Is that, Fine. is that legitimately the extent of your song? <laughs> I'm kind of here for it. <laughs> I did toy with the idea of not writing anymore, but I have written something, so it's... Uh... All right. Five years after emigrating to the US of A, the Mouskowitz family have discovered that life in America might not be as rosy as they had told themselves. Fievel, voiced again by Philip Glasser, whiles away his days dreaming about the West and famous dog sheriff Wiley Burp. <laughs> Tanya, voiced by Kathy Cavadini, replacing Amy Green, wiles, uh, wiles away her days dreaming of becoming a singer. Tiger, voiced by Dom DeLuise, continues being an intolerable fucking pain in the ass <laughs> to the point that his girlfriend Miss Kitty, voiced by Amy Irving, leaves him and travels to the other side of the country. When the mouse community uh, is subject to a vicious feline land grab orchestrated by Cat R. Wall, voiced by John Cleese, they are offered sanctuary out west by a mysterious cowboy mouse that turns out to be a marionette operated by the dastardly cat, our wall. Displaced and duped once again, the Maskowitzes find themselves on a train ride across the country in search of yet another better life. As it is wont to do, Fievel sets off exploring his transport vessel in the middle of the night. This time, he accidentally overhears the plan by Cleese Cat and his cronies to trick the mouse, uh, the mice, into doing all the hard labour once they arrive at their destination and then smushing and eating them. Or whatever. Because Fievel is a stupid little mouse idiot... Mouseburgers! Mouseburgers! <laughs> because Fievel's a stupid little idiot, he gets himself caught by the baddies before he can warn the goodies, and before, he, uh, before long he's been thrown overboard, or whatever the train version of being thrown overboard is. Can he make his way out of the desert in time? Can he reunite with Tiger, who missed the train and somehow got captured by a tribe of native cats and overcome adversity? Can he warn his family before it's too late? Are they even really that bothered that he's gone? They don't seem to be that bothered that he's gone. Uh, Also, James Stewart voices a dog. (laughs) That is Fievel Goes West. (laughs) You honestly put way more care into the plot. (laughs) than the people who made this movie did. And I appreciate that. Uh, well, it's uh, not a pleasure as such, but it's just something that I did for the sake of this. Now, this is definitely one I remember watching more as a kid for whatever reason. I think it was just, maybe it was on telly more, but I definitely had more of a kind of sense memory of a lot of stuff about this myself. 
And uh, <laughs> Barry, this is one of the, the this is the one that the only one of the two that you own on Blu-ray. If I'm not <laughs> yeah, so I um, <laughs> I, I was at it was in it was in Canada. It was like a dollar store, so except not everything's just a dollar. So this was two dollars, which is like one pound twenty. So really a very good deal. And I was like, oh, it's an American tale, <laughs> fantastic. And then I put it on, and I'm pretty sure I watched the whole thing before I realized that it absolutely was not an American tale. Um, and it was indeed an American tale. Colon Philo goes west. So I do not own, I don't even know if, I mean, there must be, if there's a Five of Goes West Blu-ray, there must be an American Tale. I would love an American Tale, like 4K, like nice collector's <laughs> thing. Maybe in a few years when it's the 40th anniversary, maybe they'll do something nice for that. Please. Oh God, yeah. yeah, that's coming up, hey? Mm-hmm. Is it one well, you had seen before, Josh? I don't think so. I I, I don't think so. I, I, I've definitely seen, I saw Five as a kid in some guy's but I don't know whether it was an American Goes West Fival or Fival Goes... No, hang on. An American Tale Fival <laughs> or Fival Goes West Fival or one of the straight-to-video Yeah, they could have been like the monster treasure hunt or whatever they do in yeah. like, the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> so I really don't know. I didn't recognize any of this at all. Uh, so I don't think I have. I certainly have no affinity for it or childhood mm-hmm. uh, attachment to it, which I think I'm finding that with the Bluths that we've covered... That is quite crucial. Mm, it does add a lot. Because, <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, we've talked about it, like, we talked about it previously in the American Tale one, and particularly with the Land Before Time episode as well. There's a certain kind of, you get a weird kind of, uh, there's a almost like a tactility to animation mm. sometimes when it comes to nostalgia, where you see the way certain things are textured or the way certain things are colored, or the way certain things move, be it within character or the way water kind of looks kind of make can really trigger something quite like oh quite sharp and this yeah. one feels like it does it certain moments had that for me kind of coming back to it but i think a lot of the reason why it doesn't quite rattle in the same way is the kind of changing of the guard that we have mm. in between the two installments um so if you'll humor me I'll, I'll dive into my <laughs> production history. Feel free to cut cut on in. Should you uh, yeah. have any uh, have any gas remarks on the revelations that I reveal on the development <laughs> process of Five All Goes West? <laughs> I don't know, Barry. Shall, shall we humour him? I don't know. Do you want to? <laughs> I mean, it can't, it can't be any less funny than the actual movie. So surely. Let's, 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 let's okay. It. How many, how many random unnecessary pop culture references will you be dropping in your production <laughs> history? Judging by in... these last 30 odd episodes, probably quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Can you do it all in a Dom DeLuise voice? I, I, no, I, I, actually, I can't do a do Dom that. DeLuise. <laughs> no, that, I don't know why. I'll lose both of you very quickly. If I, I'll lose <laughs> everyone if I do that. <laughs> Can you do it in an old dog James Stewart voice? <laughs> Let's take things back from the 1990s. That's pretty good. That's not bad. <laughs> Could you sing the whole thing to the tune of Somewhere Out There? <laughs> <laughs> or one of the many, 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 many memorable songs from Bible <laughs> Goes West. <laughs> the most memorable one being, of course, Somewhere Out There, which she sings at the very yeah. beginning again. <laughs> yeah. Before being pelted with tomatoes. tomatoes right? <laughs> Cinema. <laughs> right. Let us right. take things back to 1991. Back to 1986, uh, 1988, in fact, when the sequel to An American Tale was first being uh, pushed into development by producer, producer Dar- uh, David Kirshner. 
in April 88. After he had finished producing Child's Play. So naturally, <laughs> you move on to <laughs> your animated mouse project. Explains a lot. After your Denomit doll. <laughs> Um, he at the time summarized it as a battle between Fievel and cattle barons, and much in the style of a John Ford Western, but with Jewish mice instead. And Kirshner started pre-production as Spielberg was uh, setting up filming for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in 1989. Kirshner later was not involved very heavily in uh, production and post-production, and later admitted in 1993 that he disliked Five All Goes West as an entertainment without character. <laughs> Fascination. Well, that even one. the first part of that's debatable. <laughs> God, it's been so bitchy today. <laughs> now, of course, initially the uh, project was to, uh, bought to Don Bluth and his uh, animation studios, Sullivan and Bluth. Um, but there were a number of factors that led to Bluth and Spielberg parting ways for good when it came around to uh, An American Tale 2. Chief among them was the creative differences they had had on both the first film and The Land Before Time, with the latter being particularly taxing for Bluth, what with the communication back and forth between his studios in Ireland and Amblin and Universal in LA. And Secondly, it was also reported that Bluth was not so keen on the proposed budget being discussed for an American Tale 2. Speaking with the Rubber Onion Animation podcast in January 2016, Bluth came, claimed that Spielberg sent Kathleen Kennedy to his studio in Ireland to propose making the sequel, but, for do, but on the caveat that they do it for less than the $9 million budget of the first movie. Uh, studio advisor Morris Sullivan, who was very much in charge of the first strings, told Bluth that they could not do it for any less than the original's budget because it just did not make any financial studio sense whatsoever. So when Kennedy asked Bluth, are you sure you want to say no? Say no Bluth simply replied, I think I have to say no. So with that, um, Spielberg decides to make his very own animation house. And this leads to the uh, creation of Amblimation Studios. Um which ultimately um, meant that the film ended up costing a lot more than the original anyway, with the budget ending up around $16.5 which is about double the amount of the first one. Um, indeed. So, Amblimation set up in London in 1989 and was uh, largely composed of animators who had previously worked for Richard Williams Animation Studios, the studio which had worked on a lot of the animation for... Who framed Roger Rabbit, but had uh, since gone had gone out of business in the uh, in eighty nine following the release of that movie. So keen to keep those animators working, Spielberg put the uh, very much offered offered them the chance to come and join the newly formed Amblimation, which was a joint venture with Universal Studios, with the intention being to release a new animated film every eighteen months. Uh, the script went on to be written by Flint Dill who had pre previously written episodes for the Transformers cartoon series and its subsequent uh, 1986 movie adaptation, while also having a previous relationship with Spielberg, having written a lot of Tiny Toon adventures in the early 90s. And as a side note, <laughs> Dill would go on to have quite a productive career as a video game designer and was behind the scripts for many movie and TV time video games such as Tomorrow Never Dies, Avatar The Last Airbender, 
and Ghostbusters the video game. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good game. <laughs> that's a good game. <laughs> Maybe the second best thing with Ghostbusters on it. <laughs> <laughs> when it came to directors, Spielberg relied on ex-Disney animator Phil Nibelink and ex-Richard Williams storyboarder uh, Simon Wells, who also happens to be the great-grandson of science fiction author H.G. Wells. Uh, both have pre- previously worked with Spielberg and Amblin as supervising animators on Roger Rabbit and were instructed by uh, Senor Spielberg to take on a live action method to their animation uh, to make the characters feel more affected by light- lighting in the environment whilst also asking them to uh, have constant movement in sequences such as the sewer, sewer ride sequence and a 360 degree pan shot in the desert to give it that more kind of classic Hollywood feel um, and all the while kind of aiming for something a bit more in line with a Looney Tunes cartoon than the um, kind of classical Disney style that uh, Bluth brought to the original film. Uh, One of the key collaborators from the first time who did return to the fold was, of course, composer James Horner, who also wrote the songs with Will Jennings, including Dreams, Dreams to Dream, which was nominated for a Golden Globe Award and which I can remember no, little to no things about <laughs> from lyrics to that's the melody. That's the other song that she, that she sings that gets the cat's attention, I think. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. I like how Barry laughed at the mere mention of the Golden Globes. <laughs> <laughs> A real indicator of, of <laughs> Other original songs for the film written were Way Out West, uh, The Girl You Left Behind, uh, which was, uh, along with Dreams to Dream, performed by Kathy Cavadini as Tanya for, for the movie, who is more famously known as Blossom in the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> uh, for the single version to be released along with the film, it was announced that Linda Ronstadt uh, would be singing the song, but she rejected having allowing her voice to be used for it after re- the recording was finished. This led to a last-minute... Uh, recasting as it were the vocalist uh with celine dion coming on board um after she was just been working on her second english album however ronstadt then asked for her vocals to be placed back on the tracks placed back on the soundtrack and executives went along with this considering dion uh to be too too uh too little known at the time to be the one to be the horse the back for for this album great for her yeah, <laughs> it would not be it would not be a sad ending for Celine Dion and James Horner as this experience together would of course lead to them uh, collaborating on My Heart Will Go On for Titanic in 1997. Hey, look, at least this is something. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Our Five Goes West was originally slated for a Christmas 1990 release, but it was then delayed to late 1991. And then later delayed to Christmas 1992, before then reverting back to December 1991, <laughs> uh, where the subtitle Five Goes West was first announced in May 1990, with a follow-up TV show also being uh, announced to be in production at Amblimation. Uh, at the time, the film was one of the biggest uh, tie-in promotion pushes ever, with Universal collaborating with over 40 brands um, when it came to tie- tie-in products including a Super Nintendo game and lots of Pizza Hut-designed boxes and uh, soft drink cups. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
did it uh, with much of the focus being on Fireball himself as a mascot for both the film and the newly formed Amblimation Studios. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with the logo at all, it's the name being pushed along with Fireball uh, being the one pushing it. And of course, his hat going over his eyes. <laughs> Classic Fireball. <laughs> what happened to that hat? In this film, because he replaces it for a little. It comes back at the end. Remember, yeah, he just the, does the, a little reverse second, thingy. Yeah, he just like but, makes his hat inside out, and he becomes who he always was meant to be. Why was he keeping it? Why was he keeping it inside for the, the ten gallon? Inside apparently, the ten gallons, yeah. <laughs> more like uh, not really ten gallon, because he's a mouse. So <laughs> yeah. Ten, ten, I don't ten know milliliter the mills. System very well. Yeah. <laughs> ten milliliter hat. So, Universal had very big hopes for Amblimation and particularly Fievel and was putting a lot of lot of, a lot of money into this little mouse making it big uh, six years after the fact of his previous installment. Um, they did, however, forget to factor in one thing um, when uh, pushing this new mouse house and that was a, that is, of course, the OG mouse house. Uh, as Fievel Goes West decided to begin its theoretical run on November 22nd, 1991, <laughs> which happened so happened to be the very same day as Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Now, while they had, had had success going up against Disney movies before, the Disney of the early 90s was a much different beast to that of the late uh, mid 80s, mid and late 80s as it was very much well on its way into its uh, renaissance period, following the uh, success of 89's Little Mermaid. Uh, Does Rescuers Down Under count as being part of the renaissance period here? It It, absolutely does, if you can believe it. (laughs) (laughs) It's conveniently Uh, overlooked. Was that the first Disney Animation Studios uh, sequel, Barry? uh, Yeah. Um, I mean, they had done, like, Actually, no. I think I don't even think they had done like direct-to-video sequels yet. That was that was that's no. the only. I mean, until now, when they've done like a yeah, bunch in yeah. the last decade, until um, like Ricky you could Rock argue too. like Fantasia two thousand came after as well. Oh, but I, I, I yeah. mean, you could argue that that's not really like an actual sequel. Um, yeah. But yeah, Rescue with Down Under is the only um, until uh, the twenty tens, like the only yeah. proper mm-hmm. um, sequel. But I I would personally argue, and I think I did last time too, and I just get to mention it again because it's also about mice. Um, that the Renaissance really began um, with the Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> yeah, even though is. because I mean it's it's really the film that rescued them from the Black Cauldron, uh, and then you would also have to include Oliver and Company, which isn't especially uh, not like a huge success or anything, but it did well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I I yeah. personally believe that it began from from Great Mouse, but the general consensus is is Little Mermaid kicked it off, which means you have to. Even though most people do not <laughs> yeah. remember it, uh, include Rescuers Down Under. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad from what I recall. It was no, pretty it forgettable, isn't. but it's, it's better than this. Right. <laughs> it, it made me think of, like, this film made me think of it quite a bit, um, yeah. which I'm sure we can get into. But um, So, yeah, so, like, as you mentioned there, uh, like, The Great Mouse Detective and Oliver and Company were the two in particular that Amblin had gone up against before and had fared pretty well against yeah. with uh, an American tale and the land before time. So Universal were feeling pretty confident that these two films could exist in the same space. However, <laughs> this did not translate at the <laughs> at the box office as Five Old <laughs> Goes West opened in fourth place with 3.3 million, going on to make over 22 million domestically and 18 million overseas for a total of about 40.76 million. 
I actually say think you to, that's there's not too good. bad. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you consider that's fairly similar numbers to what the first one did, hmm. granted on half the budget, but to yeah. kind of I was going like, to say, really don't, if, you, if in... you just don't reveal what Beauty and the Beast box office is, <laughs> it sounds like it did really well. We should say as well, the box office section on uh, Five Old Girls West's Wikipedia page is the most outrageously detailed and perplexingly detailed thing I've ever seen. I don't know why. It goes like the it's got the 115th like lowest weekend yeah. drop over Thanksgiving and it's like <laughs> it's you know so some granular. like yeah. some five old stan um, yeah. had had a good time editing that section. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I am absolutely going to put it in perspective with the Crush their uh, dreams. worldwide box office taking. <laughs> For in its original run, Beauty and the Beast made a total of $331.9 million worldwide. It's since gone on to make even more than that with subsequent re-releases. Back in in 91, that was its original original take. Wow. So uh, Universal at the time, kind of licking their wounds a little, uh, put the uh, commercial failure down to simply there being too much time passing between sequels to make Five or Certified hit. While other executives at the time put the blame on Spielberg's busy schedule for mm-hmm. the story losing its way. Something very much echoed by critical mm-hmm. responses, which uh, largely were on the mixed to, ne- mixed to negative side, with many criticizing its fast-paced and perceived lack of innovation when compared to the rest of the animation market. Um, Fievel himself... Um, he would go on to have his animated spin-off series, which only lasted for one series, Fievel's American Tales, and got buried by Universal for nigh on twenty, nearly twenty years, and only has only recently been brought back to Peacock, which is the first time it's been broadcast on anywhere since nineteen ninety two. I did not know that. I did not know it's available yeah. literally anywhere in the world. That is so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and and then Fievel's adventures would continue in the uh, aforementioned uh, two director video uh, sequels. Although I should point out they're actually midquels because <laughs> they both take place before <laughs> Fievel Why goes not? west. Why not? <laughs> you can't see Barrett Barry uh, celebrating this news. Like, <laughs> why haven't you been burned enough by this goddamn franchise yet, Barry? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to watch them. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> You will when we invite you back for the Patreon. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. I will. I will. <laughs> who, who am I kidding? Uh, but yes, they were an American tale, The Treasure of Manhattan Island, which was released in 98. An American tale, The Mystery of the Night Monster, released in 1999. Fievel has not been seen since. Tiger, listen to me. I have to warn my family. The cats are going to turn them into mouse. These folks get very offended if you eat and run. I'll join you as soon as I can. You promise? I promise. Cross my heart and hope to cry. Oh, Tiger, I almost forgot. How do you get to Green River? Just grab a passing sage coach. Okay, see you later, Tiger. Adios. Sage coach, get it? Sage. (laughs) Bible Goes West itself is a film that is gone on to have garnered something of a cult following as i think the kind of quite detailed uh production notes yeah. on wikipedia would attest and also like uh generally when you see a lot of affection for this film 
um, particularly in the, the kind of the Twitter sphere, as it were, um, for those that grew up with it. But um, I and this is the kind of my my kickoff point for for this. Is it we in that kind of production spiel there? The ma- I think the main point here, and particularly for me and how I view the film, is that um, that change in lead, as it were, going from Bluth to um, um, the first Amblimation Studios picture being led by um, Nibble Link and uh, Simon Wells, and there just being that very distinct change in the styling approach to this and how personally jarring I found that mm-hmm. change to be. What were your kind of thoughts mm-hmm. on like having seen and quite enjoyed an American tale not too long ago and then kind of coming to this? Start with you, Barry. So I, I think that Don Bluth is a man who very passionately believes in the extraordinary power animation can hold and the extraordinary things that animation can do that no other medium is really capable of. Um, and that's kind of why he left Disney in the early 70s, because he was kind of struggling with their vision. And Five Goes West feels a lot more like a 70s Disney movie, like a Robin Hood, mm. um, or, um, wow, I really have forgotten every single Disney movie, even though I have um, the rest <laughs> of you that, that, that kind of thing. Like, it feels, um, it feels, they only, they did not do many in the 70s. It, it feels like it's very specifically targeted for children, um, mm. and it's very specifically just, like, watch some mice do some fun stuff. <laughs> um, mm. While American Tale is, like, <clears throat> surprisingly heavy, um, yeah. really serious uh, kind of topics, but also having that sense of whimsy and, and fun as well, but really diving into um, some pretty intense and fascinating themes uh, that this movie has absolutely no interest in whatsoever. I mean, it basically just rehashes the first movie, but takes out everything that was interesting in the first movie and replaces it with um, a, a dog who is only in the movie for like three minutes. Um, the end, like <laughs> yeah. the climax, the cli- the the whole like finding um, why finding not Wyatt Earp, Wiley Burp, Wiley Burp. Um, <laughs> And like when from like the moment he finds him to like everything like the credits rolling is like eight minutes. Like there's yes. really not. There's, I I checked. I was like I feel like this is almost over. It's been like a full hour. It's only an hour and fourteen minutes or whatever. And then obviously animated films have fairly long credit sequences. It's like this is a very short movie. Um, and, and it somehow feels twice as long as the first one, which is like fifteen minutes longer. Um, but yeah, I feel like it really is. It, it lacks the vision of someone who really believes in the power of, of animation um, and the power of, you can tell kind of any story and, and bring it to life with animation. And, and it felt like there was no, I, I don't know what the story is. I, ju- I watched it like 20 minutes. I finished 20 minutes before we started this. I, I couldn't tell you. And, and, and Josh recounted the whole thing. And I still like, I still don't know what this was about because it has like six different plot threads that it ignores completely, almost entirely. Yeah. Five barely in it. Yeah. Um, but like, so is everyone. I was yeah. I, like, my, my presiding feeling over a lot of it was just like, <laughs> that scene in The Godfather when uh, Marlon Brando's looking at James Caan's decimated body and he's just like, look how they massacred my boy. <laughs> 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 my boy. 
<laughs> all like all I could think of was um all I could think of was that meme of Thomas the Tank Engine where it's like Thomas had never seen such a mess. <laughs> just like, I just I just don't I don't get it. I I mm. I feel like the first one had um real stakes, an interesting villain, some beautiful music. Um it it might not be the greatest film ever. I think it's pretty great in in a real animated classic and a classic in mm. general. Um but this is just so this this feels like if you had told me that this was one of the straight to DVD sequels, I would have 100% believed yeah. you. Mm. It feels like a a Disney afterthought. Um like it feels like a Hunchback of Notre Dame 2, what a picture. Um it feels like a <laughs> like a movie that just has like no real purpose except to like see if they can make a few extra dollars. Yeah. Um mm. Yeah, I just I just don't understand. It, well, it why? <laughs> yeah. Perhaps unsurprisingly, it put me in mind of Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. Yeah, it, no, it, it, me t- it did me too. <laughs> That's one of my sequel, notes. <laughs> yeah. It's a sequel to a film that uh it, it does it make it's almost um almost bold in how brazenly it just takes the the schematic of the original yeah. and transplants yeah. it slightly further afield and just does the same thing and over and over again. But then I was thinking so the the bit in this film when uh, Fievel finally gets back to his family about half an hour from the end, so he's not he's not separated from them for very long. He finds them no. pretty pretty, and there's yeah. so convenient nothing. They don't give anything close to a shit. These yeah, yeah, they're just like oh, it'll yeah. well, turn up. Cool. <laughs> yeah, they're like oh, it's good to see you. And then he's like, yeah. they're literally going to kill us. And he's like, oh, silly, like yeah. no. as if as oh, if they hadn't Fievel. faced something similar in the first movie not that yeah. long ago. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and then I was I was thinking to Home Alone two, thinking that's that's as cynical a sequel and as uh, I suppose creatively bankrupt. But even still, there are parts in that moment, like when he and his mum reconnect at the end. That that packs a bit of a a bit of a, a wallop, I think. Maybe, again, maybe this is because I grew up with Home Alone films, so it, I I can reach back to that. But still, I do feel like um, there's much more of an emotional backbone threaded throughout Home Alone Two: Lost in New York than is even whiffed in this. There's just there's 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 nothing. It's like the most craven, cynical, empty sequel with with just no connective tissue. The first yeah. one, I think. Um, I certainly wasn't as big a fan of the original as you, Barry, but I I do recognize the Bluth Bluth sounds wrong. The Don Bluth touch. No, that's right. And I the Bluthiness. And I recognize the, the, the heart that he brings and the passion and like he's yeah. got that sort of Brad Bird, uh Miyazaki level of perfectionism with his with his work. Um and that does give it a, a lot a lot more a lot more substance than this, which is just bafflingly I, I think you could even nothing. track that to you could even track that to like thinking of the kind of genesis of what the ideas are like the first american tale mm. is very much like the even the character's name is the same name as steven spielberg's grandfather and is inspired mm. by like stories of his like his his grandfather and uh pe- people before him moving to uh Amer- america it's very much a particular historical uh, immigrant experience that that film's like dealing with in quite like profound ways at points and this one it's like literally the first point of like inspiration that you read for this is just gonna like oh yeah we're just gonna make a john ford movie with mice <laughs> and it's like okay this is this is clearly coming from a different a different uh motivation entirely just where yeah. you are swapping out 
swapping out kind of substance for genre picture which it, like like we have said it kind of does happen with uh sequels that particularly in i guess particularly in the 90s uh, but where something like kind of back to the future free mm. might kind of succeeds where this sort of fails is just in that it feels a bit more baked into at least kind of trying to explore the characters in more interesting ways yeah. when here when we like you say when we meet the mouskowitz again it's like nothing's really that different from their situation when we first met them before it's yeah. like that five all, all of a sudden is very into the kind of american folklore figures and uh, the kind of like idea is already kind of into these ideas of american myth making mm. um but not in a way that really feels that substantial or that ingrained into him it's just he literally turns up one day like he literally turns up in a film and has a cowboy hat now <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's it, i think that's a, a good point about john ford but it's it's like after they decided to make something like john ford they were then like okay what makes a john ford movie special and then they had mm-hmm. no idea um so they just kept plodding along but i mean john ford movies have like really pretty incredible or fascinating at least characters at the core of them um that make something mm-hmm. like the searchers or even young mr lincoln or um stagecoach etc cetera, et cetera. there's he made an unbelievable amount of films and a lot of them are really freaking great um but you know they're really interesting people with really interesting perspectives and and there are interesting things going on and the keyword is interesting because there's almost nothing interesting um in five goes less yeah. and really i think the best part is the opening um which has this like this great 360 degree turn and and you know jimothy james stewart is uh you know a, a burping dog for some reason and <laughs> it's all very it's all it's all very exciting it looks really great um the nice little transition to him like standing in front of a poster or whatever and then all of a sudden the mice are like i'm bored uh this sucks and then what really bothers me yeah <laughs> what really what really bothers me is that they're all duped by a puppet um that is so very obviously a puppet <laughs> and and my question is if all the mice think a puppet is a fellow mouse <laughs> Do they not deserve everything that's coming to them? Yeah, there was, <laughs> there's a, an extract from the Kevin McManus review of the film in the Washington Post uh, that says, um, uh, "Not only are the marionette strings fully visible during <laughs> Cat Arwal's spiel, but the cat, but the cat can be seen through the sewer gate." Yeah. Stupid mice. Yeah, they and, and, they, they, and they're they small. For this before, <laughs> they're they're small, so. You have to look up. <laughs> so it's not like I look, I would I I could see it if they were bigger than the puppet and they had to look down at the puppet. Still still far fetched, but at least you could say, Well, hey, look, he's up there in the rafters, whatever, you can't see him, but all they have to do is like yeah. move their pupil half a millimeter up further and you'll probably yeah. see a giant cat uh playing with a uh, I mean, come on. I, 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 I I think they deserve to be squashed in the mouse trap, and I think they deserve to become mouse burgers because if you have that little, um, and also sorry, this isn't like a small shift in their lives. They're not like yeah. gonna change. I mean, yeah. a job is changing your job is big too, but like you're not like changing your job that you could then quit. Like you are moving yeah. across the entire country, and you're a mouse, so like that's really far. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's just because a puppet was like, yeah, it's cool there. Everyone's best friends. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> painful <laughs> it's 
stupid mice indeed honestly i mean and and like 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 annie you just said like they, they have been they this happened to them already <laughs> like they need to learn to be a little more um is it prudent in yes. their uh, decision making <laughs> like you think that's that the thing one of my one of my note cluster headings is that characters are annoying and useless. And what really pisses me off is that um, you have Fival and you have Tanya. Being, uh, is it Tanya, his sister, or Tara? Yeah, Tanya. Whatever. I'm not talking about them at the, for the Cat. minute. It's the not parents. Cat, no. It's the Mouskowitz parents who I didn't even mention the characters or the actors of in my introduction in case you didn't notice. Because they're nothing. They're absolutely... All they exist to do they're is to useless. sit licking their wounds and and the wife goes what if we never see five all again and the father goes ah this is america we can make it big it's gonna be good it's like you fucking think about what you've been through <laughs> that's Just their think. entire character arc exercise your critical capacity it's so annoying and then then five comes back and, and he's like ah don't well this all this talk of cats duping us what are you talking about son you idiot go away and then at the end he has the audacity once five saves the day he has the audacity to hug five and be like ah we everything's great everything <laughs> see everything's fine you didn't listen to your son. Apologize to your son. You could have avoided this whole thing if you'd listened to your son. You stupid piece of shit, fucking mouse, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I guess if, I guess if he if he doesn't Our avoid it, to Papa have so changed. <laughs> if he doesn't it's avoid it, this movie is eight minutes long. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's nothing. This movie has nothing. I mean, the the entire character arc of his sister is that like she takes makeup off at the end of the movie. Like that's, that's, that's her whole that's her whole thing john john cleese cat is like inexplicably needs to have sex with a small yeah. mouse mouse child which he is needs troubling. His diva. um it's quite yeah. funny we andy and i went to go see red rocket yesterday and there's some what similarities in the uh in the cleese cat and tara storyline there there cleese are cat is a and suitcase pimp <laughs> I, I i actually wrote a whole what did you call me I, ho- I wrote a whole essay on red rocket and red rocket does a much better job. Yeah. What a con- what a connection, by the way. Um, but, <laughs> but Red Rocket does an infinitely better job painting a portrait of a character that is incredibly unlikable, but also like you want to be as you want to hang out with him all the time, and like you want him to have the best time <laughs> of his life. Um, but you also hope he suffers miserably. And yeah. and there's real nuance and like interesting things that that movie does with it. And this is just like makes no sense, comes out of nowhere, um, and and it goes and goes even less like it's it's yeah nothing in this movie actually makes sense i think one of the other elements for me that kind of again to kind of typifies it to the kind of like style of sequel that it is yeah you have a lot like we've said about how it kind of like carbon copies a lot of the beats but like it also does the very um kind of cash in sequel thing of just like kind of taking a character who is liked probably like before on a on a like audience test notes from the previous one that they've gone like all right let's give um let's give this guy more and that is a don de louise's uh tiger (laughs) who gets a lot a lot more play in this as the comedic sidekick and um what are your thoughts on tiger this time out i mean he's He's the anim- He's the hand-drawn mater, isn't he? I mean, it's just you know, hard <laughs> to the same thing. I hate him more than Jar Jar Binks. More than Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, actually, that yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, on balance, I hate him. I hate him. 
Uh, what was I going to say? There's something else I was going to say as well. I hope he's dead by now. He definitely. Andy made a good point that he would be dead by now because enough time has passed that because he must have been like ten in human years in an American tale. He's definitely dead by now. So I'm pleased. But it's set in the 1800s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's yeah, the worst. I'm, I'm confident he's not over over 200 years old. It's the um, it's the joke. It's the pes- the pesification of sequels like with, with uh, Joe Pesci's character in the Little Weapon sequels when he just gets more and more and more Pesci as the as that franchise goes along or like the <laughs> Senor Chang in Community or uh, you know when you have that yeah. little comic relief or character that works in isolation that, that, yeah, Jong because the, they the were Hangover popular. sequels <laughs> yes yeah that, yeah 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 they liked this last time and Jong in all things oh 100% the key is so often moderation and the delicate balance but because this person took off then they become seen as indispensable. And so much of the film is just him. It's like the Robin Williams genie improv scenes in Aladdin, but just uh, without any of the direction or any of the inspiration. Just, I, I don't know. Do you, do you know to what extent uh, uh, Dom DeLuise was allowed to go off script or, or was that all written? I might, it sounds no, like not... riffing. It does sound a lot like riffing, but like also a lot of it is just very like, easy puns in the situations <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean the whole the whole movie really goes the way of um a lot of animated well probably a lot of sequels in general but particularly a lot of like animated sequels and and especially like disney of the early like the mid 2000s and like dreamworks in their early run of like how many references to other stuff that has nothing to do with this movie yeah. can we fit into the i don't know 10 minutes this movie actually is and it's it's yeah. the answer is apparently an unbelievable amount. There's, <laughs> there's I mean, there's like a million uh, Western references. Don't they just like sing the theme song of Rawhide for some? They do. Yeah, they, it's the Blues yeah. Brothers version as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's one. That's one of the strangest. I think that might be the single most jaw-dropping in all the wrong ways moment. Um, although I do love the idea of Little Five traveling via um, tumbleweed. I thought that was yeah, yeah. I quite like the idea. Of traveling I have to admit. That's the one bit that I was engaged that, but that, for. Like, yeah, that, that, the animation is the only thing that holds <laughs> this movie together. But yeah, it really yeah. goes. It goes the way of a lot of um, animated movies. Really, at like the nadir of animation is when like mm. they just kind of abandon the magic of animation and the power it can have and the amazing storytelling yeah. that can come with it, and just tried to like fit in as many pop culture references um, as it could. Mm. And really, the the only one that has done that with great success is Shrek. And I do not yeah. think it will be repeated and they need to stop trying, but they, they, they will not. <laughs> they, they could benefit from not trying to do that. Toy Story 2? Or it's even... Well, I, yeah, but I don't feel like Toy Story 2 is like super indebted to like other pop culture. Oh, I yeah. see. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's more of its own thing. Than yeah, other like, I mean... Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Shrek is very Shrek's much like a, Matrix a pastiche spoofs. of so many <laughs> yeah. other things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That yeah. I think it. That I think it. It honestly, I think it nails it, and I think it, it manages to be really funny still now, twenty one yeah. years after mm. it came out. Divorced from those reference uh, points. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. like, even the character Tiger is responsible for the kind of the beat in this film that even feels wildly tone deaf for nineteen ninety one, which is this like where he gets uh, pr- um celebrated as a, a god for a native american mice tribe which just feels more out of it feels more something that would be in place in a in the 1950s peter pan and it would in a 90s animation that, that was uh, I, yeah that's 
Yeah, you don't want to. That's the last thing you want to reference yeah. for Peter Pan. Um, yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> um, even, yeah. It really is. Even goddamn John Ford reckoned with his own history with representing Native Americans in the searches. Not yeah. to the most elegant ends, admittedly, but still there was some attempt to, to wrestle with the portrayal of them yeah. in Westerns then, which was yeah, almost 40 years prior to this. So, yeah, and it, absolutely. And it's then even then that like Tiger's that like refusing to come and help Fievel because he's getting fed a lot of food, and the only reason he then decides to help Fievel is because his old girlfriend's in town. So he like he just goes from following his gut to following his dick, which like just is a terrible <laughs> friend. <laughs> What's that little horny little pink cat spirit thing that Fievel conjures up to? to get that's tiger to because a bit of the scent got in his hat when he was in the saloon oh, of uh, miss kitty's uh, oh, right. miss kitty's okay. perfume so that's what kind of came out <laughs> I mean, oh and and then there's and then there's miss kitty who and is then there's a, miss kitty like, weird quasi may west ripoff yeah, kind of yeah. but then yeah. like i feel like whoever created her like dropped that after like the first scene she speaks in it, it's all very strange like she feels <laughs> very, very may strange. west and then like that kind of all disappears later and then she just she i mean she's a nothing character there really are no yeah character there's no characters in this movie there are like animated designs walking around and i think that's really what separates it from the first one is like five mm-hmm. is such an interesting little yeah. mouse um, yeah. Even even Tiger is a lot more tolerable in 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 the first one. I mean, absolutely. I, I, the 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 family has real ambitions and, and and desires and and dreams and goals that you can relate to. That pretty much anyone can relate to. Immigrant experience required, or sorry, not required to understand. You know what they're going through, and then this mm. is just like stripping down what made these characters mm. interesting to nothing. Like there's yeah. there's just nothing left. The the end of this movie um gets the next the the, the it begins and ends with a, a fun three hundred and sixty degree shot, but the last one has yeah. no purpose. And 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 James Stewart, who I'm assuming is only in this movie, um so his like his grandchildren had something cute to like watch. <laughs> I don't know. Um, his final that makes sense. performance. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Um, well, that is somewhat of an elephant or an old dog in the room, I, I suppose I'd be remiss to not admit that I think for purely metatextual reasons, nothing to do with anything this film uses him for, but knowing mm-hmm. that it's him in it's his great. 80s, uh, his last film role, there is pathos that he brings yeah. purely he, by being mm-hmm. him. Yeah, he, I think. He, yeah, he's as magnificent as he could possibly be in a role yeah. like this. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and his message is entirely effective at the end only because it is him and it has nothing to do with the movie yeah. itself. Um, it's just really nice to hear James Stewart say, yeah. who, who, I'm, I assumed it was me, um, that I was the hero I always knew or I always could be. And that, you know, that, that, that message is great. And coming from a, a literal hero, legend, icon, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, all the hyperbole yeah. can be accurately used to describe him um, feels um, impactful. Uh, but in the context of the movie, it's nothing. He just like the yeah. it, it just he barely did. It's some, can one of you explain to me what heroic thing Fievel did? Because he like just kind of sits there. Facilitated. When they have the big <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like a like a notary. Like he just kind of like stamps something to make it happen. Noted. No disrespect to notaries. Who are <laughs> of the, the Amblin podcast. Um, oh, sorry, Ramblin. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's it. I just don't understand anything that happened 
in anything. I, I just don't even understand what I'm feeling. Like it's it's just it's his character, who, who again his name is Wiley Burp. Uh, that is supposed to be Wyatt Earp, of course. That is the reference. Mm-hmm. I can only assume. Um, but it is Wiley Burp, as in burping. You know, um, yeah. <laughs> which he does in the movie, and he basically just speaks with live in, like, action green idiom. smoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that the, the smoke is wild. It, he he basically just speaks in like random like idioms and like it's just I just don't. It's also strange. Oh, I'm dog tired. I should dog eat dog world. Let, let this sleeping dog fly. <laughs> yeah, like it's just. It, he, oh. to, be, to be fair, he, he sells the hell out of those dog puns. He but... does. He does. <laughs> and, and, and and honestly, there are worse ways to go out in your career. Yeah. Um, there are many uh, actors of ing- equal stature who have gone out on a pretty bad note. Um, so at least you know he managed to go out. Oh, okay. I guess. I mean, thankfully, this is not a movie that. Uh, I don't think anyone. When you think of James Stewart, I I really cannot imagine I anyone's anyone going straight for Fievel. Where this is the first movie, I think you'd probably like be like at least twenty films deep before you started thinking of Fievel Goes West, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, and I'm very happy about that because his legacy is so much more than a wily burp. Um, and I mean, and he, and obviously it makes sense for him because he was in many great Westerns, like the impeccable yeah. uh, man who shot Liberty Valance. And, and was that, is that also John Ford? Yeah, I think so. There you go. Um, another great John Ford movie that this movie draws nothing from despite <laughs> trying to absolutely replicate what he did. So we've yeah. kind of talked a lot about how, in terms of particularly character and um, story-wise, it like it seems like it's cutting corners and is quite lazy. But what are your kind of impressions of the actual approach to the animation, be- going for this more directly cinematic approach? And I know if you've mentioned the three sixty shots a bit, but um, mm. particularly just yeah, just more generally, like try and divorce it from the first one if you can. What were your kind of impressions of it on an animation level, particularly? For something coming out around 1991, start with you. Ben. Um, yeah, I think I think it's actually probably the only thing this has going for it. Um, I think it's genuinely quite dynamic, and I think the people who animated it took a lot more care into the people that wrote it. Um, there's some really interesting uh, camera angles as well that you don't necessarily mm-hmm. see with animation very much, particularly like yeah. the whole um, 35 millisecond climax scene at the end is. Um, it might be really short, but it looks really good while it's happening. It does look cool. <laughs> um, there's some really like there's some unexpected stuff that happens. The there's some effects that like haven't aged especially well, but they're still you kind of have mm. to admire them. Um, like when he like when Fievel, um, gets picked up by the whatever bird it is, raven or crow or something. Um, that like kind of kind of like see it flying into the air and it looks a bit funny. But then there's that whole like firework explosion thing, and that looks. Like yeah. outstanding. Yeah. Like there are there are really um beautiful moments. Actually I think the funniest moment as a as an aside is um when Fievel and Tiger walk past each other because they both assume <laughs> that the other one is a mirage. <laughs> I, I genuinely yeah. thought that was that's the so, only time I think I actually outwardly chuckled. That was a scene um, I could really remember joke. from it as well for whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> and like that that I thought that was gorgeous as well. Like the, the Mirage stuff looked amazing. Mm. Um, look, mm. it looked like just like I've seen it filmed in like live action movies. Um, I really think it has a lot going for it, and I think it's dynamic and exciting. And I think something that it really nails is that sense of scale. Mm. Um, and it, it it's the same thing that it did very well in in the first movie. 
um, mm -hmm. and really allows us to understand just how small these mice are. Uh, the big difference in this one is that they don't really do anything um, yeah. to be like worthy and, and so exciting. Like, wow, I can't believe they overcame this with, despite yeah. their incredibly small, small stature, which they do in the first one. They, you know, kind of accomplish uh, incredible things and, and really fight uh, overwhelming odds against them, as all great heroes kind of do, and, and, and pull off the unexpected. And, and this, you know, really, they just kind of facilitate cats and dogs fighting. <laughs> yeah, so it's a bit harder to establish that sort of scale in an old west yeah. town as well than in the streets yeah. of New York. <laughs> yeah, but you can tell you can tell those very talented animators mm. uh, yeah. working on this movie. It it does look very good. I wouldn't say it looks as good as the first one. Um, mm. I think it loses some of the dynamics, but I I, I think it's a yeah, impressively animated movie. I think it's it is quite interesting that it was released the same what day as Beauty and the Beast. Um, Start, yeah, because I think both started Beauty and the Beast is, the same date. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast is a bit further ahead, but Beauty and the Beast also had a much bigger budget than this. Yeah, mm. yeah, for sure. Did you have any thoughts on the animation style this time out, Josh? Well, yeah, I, I think I, I, I wonder if it's because I knew that it was coming to an end or or what. I don't know, but certainly towards the back half of the film, there were a lot of times that I'd catch myself going, "Oh, I like that little thing," like the, the sort of the reflections in the barrel of the gun during the shoot, uh, the that the shootout at the end, the the way that characters were backlit by the setting sun, like the streams of light mm -hmm. that break through the rocks. There's little visual tricks like that. I thought really. They do give it a lot of dynamism, and they do, I think, like you said, by giving yeah. it a sense of scale and scope. And it was just really like quite simple things, but very, very effectively done. Um, yeah. And it, 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 it's just, it's just a shame that you've got this really, this gorgeous shot of the sun setting, and it's uh, sort of flaring the animated lens, but then in the fucking foreground is Tiger being a douchebag doing <laughs> something, and you think, oh man, it, it looks lovely <laughs> but this is what he's in service of <laughs> and that's yeah, the, the problem in yeah. a nutshell yeah it reminds me a lot not in terms of animation but just in terms of like weirdly meandering story it reminds me a lot of robin hood but i think even in, and i'm not a fan of that movie the the animated one obviously um and i'm not mm. a fan of that but i think that is much better than this because at least like that that may it makes sense in its context this this feels like a, a much um it's supposed to be a much more uh linear kind of like point a to point b story but they, they mm. just forget i think <laughs> multiple times that they're even that there is a that there is a plot at all like it just kind of goes all over the place and nothing is resolved except for the one thing of like um cat our wall or mall what the 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 wall, camp john yeah. cleese cat please cat um, <laughs> yeah please cat is like sent in a put in a mailbag with the other cats it's pretty much like the only thing that gets resolved like also there's this like weird moment where like some water appears on the ground and then like a garden instantly blooms that was oh like, yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's um, like, i don't know what that has to do very quickly after this whole yeah i have no <laughs> idea what that has to do with anything um which is mostly what i would say to every individual again. scene in this movie um yeah it, it did kind of remind again. me of a which is which is kind of funny because I feel like Robin Hood is why Don Bluth like a big reason of like why he mm. left Disney. Um, so I can't imagine he would be thrilled that his studio no. basically made a really bad version of that movie. There was, mm. The bit that I think made me laugh the most was when <laughs> when uh, Cleese Cat was on stage in the town at the end and Fiverr was hiding in the rafters trying to get rid of him and he like jumps down on a fork and that flings Cleese Cat up through the roof 
um, up, up, <laughs> up through the floor in the saloon that's above them. And he and they, he, 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 it flings him so hard that he flies out of his clothes. And he's caught by a lady with big boobs and massive cleavage. And she like she she holds him in her cleavage while going buzzy 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 oh buzzy 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 and then he kind of claws his way out and then goes back down to the stage gets dressed again and he's like oh that was annoying who did that to me and it was such a, a, a surreal interlude he was like oh, that was a that was an inconvenience sets up his, uh, sets up his uh, ultimate climax there doesn't it? yeah and his ultimate fate like kind of like um, yeah kind of like stinky Pete. In Toy Story 2, his, his fate is just sort of consigned <laughs> to a... Yeah. yeah. And and all, all he wanted was to not be called Pussy Poo. And uh, that <laughs> ended up being exactly what he called. Pussy, pussy, guy. pussy, 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 pussy. <laughs> I mean, really, like, really all he wanted to do, and I feel like I also defended the cats in the first American Tale, but really all this guy wants to do is eat some mice, which is very much like a cat's instinct. In his it's nature. Not like he's, <laughs> he's not really trying to do, he just wants to eat a bunch at once and make mouse burgers. Yeah. Um, which I, I still wish happened. Um, yeah. But you know, I think that would have been a much more impactful movie. This, this whole thing felt like a fever dream. And again, it was just like a couple hours ago. It yeah. really wasn't that long. Yes. I'm honestly questioning. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, did I watch this movie? Like, did this really happen? Mm. I remember the episode back when I had COVID. That's right about the time that Andy and I did the Empire of the Sun episode. I think I was just coming out of COVID when we did that. And my recollection of watching Empire of the Sun is a hazy, sweaty fever dream. But even that doesn't really compare to the experience of trying to watch an American <laughs> tale. Yeah. I think what hasn't helped it, and we should say, is that it's been quite a turbulent road to recording this episode. <laughs> 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 Our schedule's getting knocked off by COVIDs and yeah. real life and, you know, double bookings and whatnot. It's been very hard to get down to record this uh, tale of this goddamn mouse. So I think I approached this slightly resentful of Bible from the very off. <laughs> yeah, and then the movie did not help. And the movie did uh, not help. Yeah, no, yeah. No, I, no, I, yeah. I remember like the first five minutes. I was like, "All right, this is going to be great. This is exactly the fun <laughs> little adventure that I remember." You know, not like splashy, not incredible, but like a good time. And it absolutely did not deliver mm -hmm. a remotely <laughs> good time. Um, and another thing, like the, I felt like the music in the first one, uh, particularly the song, mm. like really had purpose. Uh, and they they really fit like what made what makes singing like what makes singing in like a musical like interesting and like they felt impactful and purposeful. Um, and I could not tell you I don't even think a single lyric or like a line from any of the songs. They they yeah. just felt like they were there to pad an already threadbare, more bare than threadbare, if that's possible story. And I I don't remember any of them. The only one I can kind of vaguely remember is the one that the um girl that girl mouse sings i don't know her name um tanya because tanya. it sounds so much like somewhere out there and then really the only one i remember is somewhere out there because yeah. they just sing it again yeah yeah Bizarre. Bizarre. and I, I clocked when like the first one the way out west one comes in and it's 20 minutes into mm. this 74 minute movie that the first song comes in <laughs> yeah they, they're really like oh oh shoot this we're supposed to make it honestly i i feel like it, it is the kind of movie that feels like each scene was made by a completely different team. Yeah. Um, and mm. because, like, when when um, the backwards idea of having these, like, native mice, they completely vanish. Like, they're, they're in, like, that one moment, and then they're, like, never seen again, even though he, um, 
like he has to escape them or like leave them somehow but i don't think we even see that or or maybe i just went in and no I they just like oh maybe i was just thinking about an american tale instead yeah like it's just none of these so many of these there's so many characters in this this is a big mistake that i think a lot of sequels make is that introducing way too many new characters and trying to like particularly um not even a sequel but the last movie um twilight breaking dawn part two um, which I had to watch because so I watched. New characters. I, I did a big uh, Robert Pattinson piece, and I had to watch every single movie he was in. And and they introduced like seventy five characters in the fifth movie. <laughs> yeah, yes. of five, which it's makes aggressive. I mean, it, 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 was already, it was already difficult enough, but then they introduced so many in, in, in so many sequels. Great movie. Um, yeah, every every sequel is like let's introduce some new characters. Fine, you're expanding your world, whatever. But this just seems to bring in like so many. And leaves them after, like, you blink. And it's just like, what is the point of bringing all these characters in when you had an interesting core that you've mm. more or less completely abandoned? It, I, I, I'm trying to think of who has the most time in this movie, and I don't think it's Fievel. Like, I don't know who it is. Probably Tiger, to be honest. No. It probably it, really? is Tiger. Tanya's got a fair bit, which, like, I appreciate on paper the idea of giving the his sister a bit more of a active role in the thing, but then she doesn't ultimately, the role's mm. not a particularly active one it's more being way late like sent down sent down a wrong path and like yeah. being f- trying to find val- validation for her singing talent which she wasn't getting in the streets of new york it's a strange arc <laughs> she, the only validation she found was from her groomer like it was a it was yeah. strange it was all very um and also singing at just the right moment to save five or from trouble that happens about three times <laughs> that happens to sing. i think i've been calling a tara for the whole episode as well it's tanya is it i'm pretty sure it's tanya it's girl man they, <laughs> they don't respect her the enough did... for you to remember the name and the only reason you remember the five is the title time. <laughs> the whole time the i've been calling a crumble there you go there's another one who's that I what did she do? <laughs> well, what does anyone do in this movie? But she wouldn't be a baby because it's five years later, isn't it? So it'd be a that five year old. No time. one's aged. <laughs> do, do they say it's been five years? <laughs> On Wikipedia, where I got the no, inspiration no. for the synopsis. I, I believe that. <laughs> I believe that. But like the movie came out five years later. But I, I swear, they don't, do they I say anything? I just assumed they were just picking it up. It does. Yeah. No, I don't. Does it not? Um, is there not a year at the start? Am I conflating it with something else? I thought there might, it might be a year, a year at the start. I don't, I don't <laughs> think so, but maybe. Um, no, I, because I, I did not think that uh, like more than like a week or two had passed because they're all the exact same age. Yeah. Mm. And like, surely he would sound different if he was five years older. But but he literally is though. He's the same boy who's five years old. No, boy. I know, but he the voice is <laughs> still is, pretty similar. Which is why it's so straight. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, one thing. Uh, uh, one thing I will say. I'll, I'll I'll say this: the bit where they ride the bowl down the sewer looks like a great. That ride. was cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wouldn't mind. A, just kept I wouldn't mind. A yeah, I would go on that. I guess. <laughs> I'd go but on then, that. Um, but then, then, what, what does Fievel say? Fievel says something like, "Wow, what a cool Let's ride!" That <laughs> oh, that 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 might be one of the worst things anyone ever says in a film. Let's do that again. <laughs> it's, it's I feel the, like. Tritis. I feel like they were trying to get the Universal to be like, let's put this yeah. in um, Universal well. Studios or something. <laughs> I yeah. do believe they did make a um, a uh, attraction called Mousetrap, which was a like a big 
2,000-seater interactive version of the film. <laughs> wow. I would like to go on that. Five and then maybe at the, the end, I would say, experience. let's do that again. <laughs> uh, there's one other character that I forgot, and I, I'm, I'm going to say his name and see whether you remember who it is at all. T.R. Chula. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> That's the spider voiced by John. Oh, Lewis. the spider! Oh, because tarantula. That's <laughs> that's cute. When is there a spider in this? <laughs> you don't remember the spider? He like kidnapped the looking. girl for a second, and he like puts them behind a spider web prison cell at the beginning, yeah. and then and then and then Camp Cat is like, "Haha, just kidding. We can all get along." <laughs> also, the cat is so. The cat, like, I feel like the cats in the first one were so much more menacing and so much uh, more convincing as villains. Yes, and then this one, yes. like, the dude can't even, like, string. So here's what bothers me. When he's doing his puppet thing, he's putting on, like, a great, perf- well, it's a terrible performance, but they fully buy it. He doesn't stumble. You know, he's fully, like, come here. It's amazing. He really he really gives it all. And he feels like a convincing. He reminded me a lot of a really bad version of Radigan. Um, mm-hmm. And then... At the end, when he's, like, announcing the, the party, he keeps, like, m- you know that thing where you keep, like, you can't avoid giving away, like, the secret, and, like, you keep pointing out the thing that's not supposed to be pointed out, and he keeps doing it, and he basically keeps telling them that they're about to be eaten. But the mice, who obviously were convinced by a puppet, aren't even phased by this. Um, <laughs> but it's just, like, he, he goes from, like, being really quite competent, and then, like, after that first scene, all that competency disappears. He, he's, just like a, he's just, like, a bumbling cat who wants to sleep with a child. Like, that's, yeah. that's all he has. <laughs> It is. It is st- very strange. It's very strange. It's very strange. Don't like it. Uh, no good. John Cleese's uh, um, lowest fee in ten years when he got this role, yeah. which made him not participate in any marketing. <laughs> but you see, he was paid the lowest fee in ten in in ten years. But he also said he enjoyed sound booth work as it was basically easy money. So he he kind of brought it on himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna sell this stupid, stupid mouse movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, this is uh, longer than the film. So huh? I... No, not quite. Not quite. More. more <laughs> than so I think it's safe to say neither of us are gonna be saying let's do that again too too quickly <laughs> with a uh, Bible Goes West. <laughs> Did you have any other wait. thoughts or or notes or observations on Bible Goes West? Uh, uh, to bring out before we uh, shut the saloon door for good on the on the tales of five on the masquets is here on rambling. I I I just wish I understood it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I wish I wish that an ounce of the same care that went into the first movie went into this, and I I would have loved to see um, Don Bluth's take on this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I would have loved to, you know, him and Spielberg to kind of come together like they did on the first one with this one. Uh, I just don't get it. I don't understand what their motivation was except to, like, make some money. Because I, I feel like no, perhaps nobody wanted to make a sequel. Uh, and mm. then they were told, we're going to make a sequel. So they were like, oh, okay. And I guess it, it made enough money that it was profitable, I hope. Um, because I think the, the Blue Sullivan Studio is, is a wonderful one. Uh, and I believe you have some fascinating movies coming up um, in 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 the studio that are wow. that make that make this movie look absolutely normal. Um, and <laughs> I, I look forward to those very much. Yeah. 
But yeah, it, it feels like it, it is a movie vacant of everything that makes the studio interesting. And it's it's a it's a darn shame. Mm. Yeah, it's a bit of a ambling curiosity to me in in its kind of grand in the grand scheme of it all. This like it's one of the kind of because it is the first of like like the three that come out of the amblimation banner. So this is followed. I think Simon Wells came back for both. It was this followed by We're Back a couple of years later, which will what a, the, what dinosaur, a movie. the the other dinosaur, dinosaur story. story from nineteen ninety three. Mm-hmm and Balto, and I just find the Amblimation itself, this weird kind of Twilight Zone pocket of uh, Amblin's history, which just doesn't seem to really of like, on paper, it's a s- sort of thing that kind of makes sense to for Spielberg to kind of go into, but there's just, there's it's just, it falters so quickly. <laughs> it's <laughs> pretty much out the gate. Like, it's yeah. just it's built on wonky foundations and it like just doesn't, doesn't ever seem to kind of pick itself back up from this as, uh, as like, um, we'll go on to discover in the later, in the later efforts from amblimation. Any final thoughts, words yourself on uh, five or goes West, Joshua Glenn. Not really. (laughs) (laughs) What a picture. (laughs) What a picture. (laughs) (laughs) Matrix Resurrections came out on uh, our home video release on the 21st of this month. So rent it, buy it. It's great. <laughs> Plug where you can. <laughs> just, just remember, Fievel, one man's sunset is another man's dawn. I don't know what's out there beyond those hills. But if you ride yonder, head up, eyes steady, heart open, I think one day you'll find that you're the hero you've been looking for. Shall we move into the tweet section, which I think we're a bit kinder than we were. <laughs> I do feel bad because this this person that wrote the tweet is so nice, and we'll have been looking forward to hearing a nice conversation about. Anyway, do you want? Do you, do you want? I think I've only got one. Is there more? I've got a couple more, so you can say the one that you've got, and then I'll I'll pivot on that. <laughs> Andy's so much better than me at this. Uh, so the, the one tweet that I found. <laughs> was from uh, Harley of Fundamentals, who said, I remember my grandparents had this on VHS, and me and my sisters watched it every time we visited. A childhood favourite I'll always cherish, smiley face emoji. Or is that a grimace emoji? (laughs) (laughs) He knew. He knew what he really meant. (laughs) So thank you, Harley. My recommendation, Harley, is to keep it in your childhood, where it can feel warm (laughs) and lovely forever. I made the mistake of not doing that. (laughs) We also had a tweet from uh, Barry Levitt and me, Levitt ninety three, saying that, that this film is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Exposed. <laughs> and, uh, 
we also had another tweet from timothy mckenzie at ulysses s bob on twitter um nowadays i'll always remember five will go to west primarily for the two songs that five will's big sister tanya happened to sing dreams to dream as well as the girl you left behind uh and it was uh timothy who actually brought it to my attention that uh tanya was a uh, voice and also sung both songs and is uh power buff girls blossom blossom kathy Ka- uh, cavadini <laughs> and we had one we had one last tweet from uh, a previous guest on the podcast dan kelly <laughs> at deking around on twitter do saying, it do, do it in the well, voice of the actor he's taken off well what the fuck does this mouth mouse from up there he's a brilliant mouse by the way know about the american west <laughs> <laughs> It is bonkers. That that was timely when he wrote that. This has been delayed so long that there's been about five outrage cycles since the Sam Elliott Power of the Dog thing. I mean, five, outla- five outrage cycles today alone. Yeah. I mean, she's since fucked up her best director and best picture chances with that William and Sisters comment since then. So the tide has turned again. <laughs> no, she probably hasn't. I do. She, I think I do. Hope I still, I still, I still think she's got director picture. Yeah. I don't know, but I still think I think. It's <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for all your tweets, uh, <laughs> rambling listeners, and, and, uh, <laughs> and Matrix Resurrections is out now on home entertainment. Um, <laughs> for our next episode, we'll be uh, st- still sticking around in 1991, uh, the last film in 1991, in fact. Uh, we'll be covering ourselves in fairy dust and thinking happy thoughts as we take off uh, with our episode of Spielberg's fantasy adventure, Hook, starring <sighs> Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, and Julia Roberts. If you don't happen to have the film on disc but fancy watching it along with us, it is available to stream to those of you that have a Netflix, Sky, or Now Cinema subscription. Otherwise, you can rent or buy the film digitally on Amazon, Apple TV, Chile, Google Play, Microsoft Store, Sky Store, and YouTube. And Rakuten TV. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when he does that, Barry. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was beautiful. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on it, tweet us at Rambanamban. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Rambanamban at gmail.com. Uh, you want to do the episode on our behalf, you can do. We can, we can sit, hook out. I like Hook. <laughs> I like Hook, he says. I like guy. Hook. Just like, <laughs> just send like us your thoughts. <laughs> just like Bible Goes West is good. Like this guy said <laughs> a, a year I, ago. You know, I, I haven't I don't think I've seen Hook since <laughs> I was very young. So I would be I, I, I would I look forward to listening and um and watching it maybe. Mm. If I can stop it, <laughs> no, I did not like it. Hey, uh, it's quite readily available. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, it well, is. honestly, now I know that. Now I know it's available. But it's be different places. I, I, I might do it. Uh, I'm just I'm tired. The, the, the heat, the sun tires me and makes me grumpy. I, it's fine. It's fun. We'll have a good time. I've grown we'll have a good time. <laughs> listeners, listeners, join in. Tweet us at um, uh, Ram. Tweet us at Ramblin Email us at Ramblin at gmail.com with your thoughts. It's going to be great. We're going to have a great time. You're going to have a lovely time. You got a lot of editing. (laughs) (laughs) You might just think about cutting the whole thing. You're going to go from an hour and a half to an hour and like 10 minutes real fast. Just turn turn my audio track off. Just make it a two-hander. Josh couldn't make it this week. Which in many ways I couldn't. Uh. Oh. 
Well, thank you once again for joining us, Barry, for our travels out west. Um, oh, what a pleasure. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's a delight to have you anytime. Um, <laughs> sorry, this one wasn't quite as rewarding as the other one. Yeah, I would love to come back for a good movie next time. Um, although, in my def- in in you know, in your defense, I thought this was a good movie. Back then, so, who knows? Maybe maybe invite me for something I hate so I can watch it again and I'll love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, we do hope you'll you come back for our episode on Hook as well. Um, I'm looking forward to it, despite what Josh Glenn might have to say. <laughs> Maybe it'll be an always situation, and it's uh, not yeah. as harrowing as it first was. Oh, I, I do like always. <laughs> Matrix Resurrections <laughs> is out. Uh, well thank you very much barry for joining once again for joining us for this ramble about an american tale bible goes west i have been andy godian i've been joshua glenn and all together we've been rambling and we'll see you next time for hook until then take care of each other and goodbye